Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Recap Podcast. On the podcast with me today, I have Ben. Hey guys. And my name is Preston, and we're about to listen into a message in the More Than Words series from Ben. Before we get to that, uh, I want to take a second and talk with Ben a little bit about uh, what this message, uh, how we got to this message, and what this message can mean for us in a little bit of a deeper context. So throughout this message, you uh, read from John. John is the, the biblical author, John, you read from him quite a bit. What qualifies John to talk about love, which is what this word is that we're talking about today, love? So uh, one of the fun things about John is that oftentimes when you read, especially at the Gospel of John, um, he never refers to himself. He always kind of like, he refers to himself, but he doesn't ever call himself by name. He he's, al- he's he, the one that Jesus loved. He right? always calls himself <laughs> the one that Jesus loved, yeah. which is really kind of a, a unique little thing about his authorship and everything else, which also then I think says something very significant about who he was and what he thought about his relationship with Jesus and what it meant to be loved by Jesus. So if we're going to preach a sermon on love and if I'm quoting things from John, I think it's just a really interesting, like I, I don't even mention that in the sermon, but I think it's just very interesting that John would be the one who we would be quoting in some of these things, which we quote from the gospel of John, but we also quote from first John and where he speaks a lot about love. That's a very significant thing very significant theme in his writing that's interesting because whenever i see the one that jesus loved i always i always see it as kind of like a almost like a not prideful but like i'm the one that jesus loved kind Mm -hmm. of situation not necessarily as one who is has a fuller understanding of jesus's love i think it's both i think i think there's times (laughs) when it's that competitive nature that you see between him and peter and different things and and even his brother james you there's that competition of who is closest to, to Jesus. I think yeah. that's part of it. But I also think that there's a humility in it of how looking back as he's, he's writing this much after all this stuff happened and he's looking back and he's realizing, I think he's seeing all the ways that Jesus loved, which plays really well into what we're talking about with the sermon, that it wasn't just a feeling. This isn't a feeling love, but this was action love. Like he kept seeing mm-hmm. over and over the ways in which Jesus loved him. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so this sermon series that we're going through more than words uh, we've done, um, We're doing love today, we've done repentance, we've done forgiveness, and we've done pursuit. Um, Out of this sermon series, as we're wrapping up, this is the last one uh, this week, was there anything that was left unsaid? Um, When I think about this this whole series more than words, really all of it is a call to action. Every single week there's been a call to action because that's, that's what it is. I think one of the problems that the church has had historically over the last few decades has been a, especially the Christian church that in the kind of movement that we're a part of, it is so focused on knowledge. It is so focused on biblical understanding, which is a beautiful and good thing, but it sometimes lacks that action component mm-hmm. that sometimes we forget that the things we know ought to influence how we live. And I think that's what this series has really been all about is it's been trying to pull us back to realizing that it's not like there isn't an entrance exam into, into mm-hmm. heaven. There's, there's actions that go along with the things that we need to know. And for me, I think that's what this series has been. Well, thank you for bringing some extra context into this message, into uh, our series. Um, let's go ahead and listen in on this message from Ben on love in the More Than Words series. Early on in my relationship with Christina, I came to the realization that we were mentally in different places. 
she was graduated from college. She was ready to advance on with her life. She was ready for what was next. And I was, I was still in school. I had a lot of school left. I, I wasn't interested in starting my life post-education and I wasn't in the same place that she was and it became clear that she was a little bit more serious about this relationship than I was. I was just kind of interested in hanging out with girls. And as it, uh, as it developed, I eventually broke up with Christina. And it had a lot to do with this pressure that I felt, like, like there was some expectations and I wasn't really sure I was ready for those kinds of expectations of, of that kind of a serious relationship and being in the same place that she was and so I broke up with her and a few days later as we were working out some of the fallout of what that meant and everything else it led to a long conversation where we would eventually get back together and we decided to continue this relationship but there were some interesting things that were said in the context of this conversation. Uh, one of the things that Christina said that, that stuck with me and, and I give her tons of credit because she had a, a much more mature perception than what I did and a much better understanding than I did. And one of the things she said to me in the context of that conversation was she said, she said, Ben, I love you, and I know that you love me. Well, that was really the center of the issue between the two of us. I wasn't sure that I loved her. I wasn't confident. I didn't know for sure. I had all this skepticism in my mind. I had all these other thoughts, and I was, I was worried that maybe, maybe how I felt about her was infatuation, or maybe how I felt around her was just kind of fun or joy or that I was just happy around her, but it didn't necessarily mean that I loved her. It didn't necessarily mean that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And so over the next few months, even as we began this relationship again, uh, Christina would occasionally look at me and say, Ben, I love you. And it was always really awkward because I wouldn't say it back. I held on to it. I, I didn't want to say to her that I loved her if I wasn't sure that I loved her. I didn't want to communicate something to her that maybe wasn't true. And so I tried to hold on to that. I tried to protect her from that. I, I tried to, to minimize any sort of future damage that may happen because I uttered promises or, or suggestions that maybe weren't true. And so I held back. And so there were these awkward moments where she'd say, Ben, I love you. And I would just say, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and that was it. It was, it was weird. It was awkward. And it was rough. Over a while, and and depending on whether you're talking to her or me, the length of that time is between one month or like four months. But, but over time, I eventually came to the conclusion that I did, in fact, love her. And so uh, one night I told her, Christina, I know that I love you. Like I, I'd, I'd come to terms with it. I'd accepted it. And part of the issue that I'd had, and, and, and looking back now, is, is that my perception of what love is, is this emotional thing. In fact, if you were to open up an English dictionary, a Webster's dictionary, and you looked into a definition of love, you would find that, that love is an affection, that it's a feeling. It's, it, it's, it's, like, it's a feeling of liking or caring for someone or something. It's a feeling. It's an emotional thing. And that's what I struggled with with her, was I had these emotions, but I didn't know whether or not to call them love or to call them something else. And that's what my struggle was. And I didn't want to say something that meant more than what it actually was. And that's, that was my burden. But yet Christina could look into me and she could say, I know that you love me. That was confusing to me. Because how could she know my feelings better than I know my feelings, right? Like there was a struggle, there was a burden there that we went back and forth in. 
1991, there was a song that came out that absolutely changed the world. That's right, a song came out that revolutionized the world and changed it. And all it took was two guys, one on guitar, one singing, and, and the guy on the guitar singing some beautiful harmonies that melted the hearts of women and gave men the opportunity to speak about what I thought would have been their feelings. It was an incredible song made by a band named Extreme. The song is called More Than Words. As we began to do this series, uh, actually, and, and I saw that we were going to call it More Than Words, I immediately thought of this song. And then as, as I looked at this sermon and began preparing for this word love, I immediately thought I, that this song at some point has to play a part. It's an incredible love ballad that is actually kind of funny because it's not really uh, so much how much I love you as, as, as he calls out asking uh, for this reciprocation for, for his, from his lady. Really what he's saying is that I, you keep saying you love me, but there's no proof. There's no evidence. There's no, there's no evidence that it exists. And he, and he kind of pushes back. And, and here's, here's a line from the song. Uh, he sings to his love more than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. This idea that love isn't just something that can be communicated in words, but that it requires more than words. We've been going through this whole series talking about how all of these different words we've looked at have significant importance to them, that they all have some sort of big meaning to them and intend uh, something great. But they can't just stay there. That, that actually, it requires often action. In fact, all the words that we've looked at have required us to move towards action. We're going to find the same with love. That this isn't just a word that it isn't just a feeling, that it's a, a, a feeling. It, it's more than words. It calls us to do something. And within this song, even from Extreme, you'll hear them say, more than words. I want something more than words from you. I want proof. I want that evidence that you love me. Reminds me of this really interesting verse from John chapter 13. And I say it's really interesting, and if you've been around church for a long time, if, you, if you've been a follower of Jesus, or at least a studier of Jesus for a while, you're probably very familiar with the verse that we're going to focus in on. But what's fascinating to me is that it exists in a very unique, strange place. That there's these two other things going on around it that, that don't seem to all fit with where this verse would be located. In fact, as I say this verse, if you were to look it up, you would probably be surprised to find it in the specific context that it's in. And it starts in John chapter 13 with the washing of the disciples' feet. It's a famous story. Again, if you've been around church for a long time, you know this story. Jesus and his disciples, the 13 of them, are traveling, and they come to uh, Jerusalem, and they, they prepare for the Passover feast, what would, have, what would actually end up being their last meal together. Jesus knows that, but his disciples don't. And Jesus goes about getting all the preparations, everything's in place, and these 13 men show up in this room to sit down and eat a meal. And as they get down around the, on, on the ground to sit around with one another to share this meal, there's some, there's some smells. Jesus and his disciples, they've been traveling, they've been walking, they're, these are sweaty men, and they're sitting down, they're by each other's feet, there's, there's smells, all right? And it's not that they're supposed to be smells. It's not even something that they're used to. But, but really what should have happened is they came in the room. There should have been some cleaning taking place. There should have been some washing to take place in respect to everybody else. And as you looked over into the corner, you would see that there was a basin of water and a towel sitting there for cleaning to happen. The problem is no one offered to do it. 
it was seen as a very low role. It's, it's the thing that you would have given to your lowest servant to wash the feet of your guests when they came in. And there wasn't a servant there, there was no one there, and no one wanted to take that role. And so Jesus gets up from the table and he goes and he wraps a towel around his waist. And then he goes around to each of his disciples washing their feet. And there's some protests, there's some people who don't want any part of it. But Jesus tells them, if you want any part of me, then you have to be willing to accept what I'm doing with you right now. And he, he shows them that he's the leader, he's the authority, he's the example. These are his disciples. They're supposed to follow, they're supposed to imitate him. They're supposed to like serve him. They're lower than him. And yet Jesus shows them, no, I'll serve you. And he takes the lowest position, the last night of his life, and washes feet. It's an interesting story. Now, now, just several verses later at the end of this dinner that they have together, that they share together, and all the different conversations that happen, one of them that's really interesting is Jesus begins to talk about where he's going. He knows what's happening the next day. And Peter makes this big proclamation. He says, wherever you're going, I'm going. I'm going to be a part of it. Whatever you do, I'm doing. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you, you're, you're not. And Peter kind of pushes back. And Jesus says, Peter, over the next uh, few hours, you're going to betray me three times. You think that you're willing to do anything that I'm doing. You think you're willing to go anywhere that I'm going. But you're actually going to fail at that just over the next few hours, like it, it, like multiple times, that, that you're going to be brought face to face with your own cowardice, your own fear, that you're really just all talk. There's these two very fascinating interactions that Jesus has, but right in the middle is this verse that you've maybe quoted, that you're probably very familiar with, but it's in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's a beautiful verse, and it sounds like that would come out of a very encouraging passage, but it's happening right in the middle of Jesus washing feet and Peter being told he's going to betray, and it's in the conflict of this whole conversation. It's a very strange place to find these words. What Jesus is trying to tell them is, is that the rest of the world will know who I am on your ability to love one another. The way in which you guys interact and care for one another. And as you go back and you start thinking through what does he mean by this word love, we can consider the definitions of what we've looked at it before. Is this a feeling that they're just supposed to like each other? They're supposed to care for one another? Like, like they have strong feelings of affection towards one another? That's... That's how they're going to change the world. That's how they're going to show the world who Jesus is. It doesn't make much sense. But that actually, this, this calls us to more than words. And it goes back to what was happening all around this little verse. That, that Jesus didn't just sit back and say, you have to love one another. He actually showed them what love looked like. That he goes and he takes a basin and he takes a towel and he begins washing their feet. He begins doing what no one else is willing to do. That was love. He, he proved his love to them in that moment. And as he looks to Peter later and as he prophesies the next few moments of his life, it looks like Peter fails. It, 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 Peter falls short. Peter doesn't really love like he thinks he loves because his actions don't back it up. There's this call for more than words. In fact, a song came out in 1997 that totally changed the world. 
It revolutionized how everyone thinks about this word love, and it, and it changed hearts of women and hearts of men, and it, it became another incredible love ballad that you're probably familiar with. In the 90s, uh, I grew up in West Texas. It was hard not to listen to country music. 90s country music is, is a lane that I can, I can live in, all right, and I can appreciate and I can enjoy. And there was a song that came out by an incredible artist named Clint Black. Phenomenal. And you're probably familiar with him. You probably remember this song. He sang a song called Something That We Do. It's a beautiful song that he sings to his lady all about how love isn't just these feelings that they have, but that it's actually more than words. In fact, a line from his song, he says, love isn't something that we have. It's something that we do. Love isn't something that we have. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is an action. Love is things that we do one for another, ways in which we co cooperate with each other. It, it's an action. And I think that's what Christina had communicated to me so many years ago. When Christina looked at me and she says, I know that you love me. She wasn't saying that she had some ability to know my feelings better than I knew them and that she could wade through them. Although, to be fair, she probably can. What she was communicating was that she could see all the ways that I loved her, the ways in which I put her first, the ways in which I cared for her, the ways in which I listened to her, the ways in which I spent time with her, all of those kinds of things. Love was something that I was doing, and I was confused and lost because I was trying to figure out if it was what I was feeling. It reminds me of another thing that John would later write. It happens to be in John chapter or First John chapter 3. And he writes this. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Okay, so, so we can talk about love and everything else, and we can say, well, how can I see love? What does it look like? And John says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for for us. It was an action of humility. It was an action of service. It was an action of, of a gift to give and an act of service to us that he would do that on our behalf. He, he didn't just say he loved us. He didn't just teach us that God loves us. He didn't just say that he's our father and he calls us children. He didn't speak of, uh, of just words and, and tell us what love was. He actually showed us by putting himself below us by allowing himself to take on the punishment that we deserve, that, that he allowed himself to die on our behalf, that's, an, that's the epitome, action of love. And then, and then it twists and says that we ought to do likewise, that we ought to do that for each other. And in fact, in verse 18, he takes it even another step for, further. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is a big deal that it's not just about the words that we say to each other, but that we actually prove it. We put it into action. There's a book that you may be familiar with, came out of, uh, several years ago called The Five Love Languages, and it's written by a guy named Gary Chapman. And he lays out these five ways in which people prefer to receive love, ways or things that happen for people that make them feel Loved, and so uh, the first one is acts of service. It's it's when someone serves you or cares, takes care of you by doing something for you. That that's one way that people feel deeply loved. Uh, some people feel loved by receiving gifts. Okay, when you give them things, that makes them just feel all warm and gooey, and, and feel as if they have been loved. Uh, the third one is quality time. Uh, you know, they don't want you to buy them a gift. They want you to actually spend your time on them. 
and with them and invest in time with them. The fourth one is words of affirmation. They're looking for words of encouragement. They want you to tell them how great they are, or how good they are, any of those kinds of things. That's, that's a way of breathing love into their life. And number five is physical touch. They need a hug. They need a kiss. They need a, an interaction physically to be able to know that they are actually loved. See, the reality is, is that love isn't a feeling. I mean, it is a feeling, but it isn't a feeling. It's, it's not an affection towards someone. It's a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's an action. It's something that you can point to, and you can say, that's love. And John says that the whole way that we can know what love is is by actually looking at our Father in heaven and looking at what He did through Jesus when He came to earth and that He was willing to die for us. That's an incredible act of love, and that then we ought to do the same thing. See, love is more than words. Love isn't something that we have, it's something that we do. And then Bob Goff came along. Bob Goff came along, he wrote a book here, here recently, and within that book, uh, one of the things that he says is love isn't something that we do. Which is funny because I've just said that love is something that we do, according to Clint Black, and I don't think he's a liar. Bob Goff says love isn't something that we do, it's something we become. Love isn't something that we do. It's someone, not something. It's someone that we become. That, in fact, as we practice loving one another, as we, as we recognize that love isn't just words that we say, but it's something that we're doing, that in the practice of doing, in the practice of loving one another in action and in real deed, in ways that are very visible, that in those actions, we actually become love. It's something that we do to God in our, in our praises and our worship to Him, that, that we say that, that we don't just love you, God, but that we prove it with our lives. We do the same thing with other people, that I don't just say I love you, I prove it with my life. But in the proving of those things, we actually become love. That makes me think of the golden rule. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. These are Jesus' words while on the Sermon on the Mount. And he looks out across this crowd and he says, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the Long Prophets. This past week within a podcast that we were recording here, we talked a little bit about this. And I can't ever look at the Golden Rule without thinking of a guy named Mark Moore. He is a professor at the college I went to. He's now a preacher, an incredible communicator. I heard him at a conference one time talk about the Golden Rule. And he said that oftentimes we have exchanged the golden rule for the silver rule. And I want you to think back to when you were in kindergarten or first grade and little Johnny hit you. And then the teacher would pull Johnny aside and she would say, Johnny, we don't hit because we don't want to be hit. Right? And we would teach the golden rule that if you don't want someone to hit you, then you don't go hit them. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says that you should do to others what you want to have done for you. The silver rule, the, the, the second one that we often settle for is don't do to other people what you don't want done to you. And that's a good rule. That's a valuable rule and tons of greatness to it. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to something higher. He calls us to actually do to others what we wished someone would come and do for us. And the limits to that are only limited by your creativity. If you've ever wished, if you've ever wished that someone would just show up at your door with an apple pie, maybe you should start making apple pies and showing up at people's doors. 
If you've ever had one of those weeks that's just crazy busy and you know that you don't have time to get to your yard and at some point you even start to resent your neighbors because you get home and you look out and the grass is tall and you're wishing, man, I just wish one of my neighbors was nice enough to just mow my yard for me and take care of this need because I don't have the time. If you've ever found yourself wishing something like that, when was the last time you mowed someone else's yard? That's the reality. That's what the golden rule is. That's, that's recognizing that, in, that instead of just wishing that someone would show me love, that I would actually show them love. It's what God did for us in sending Jesus, that he didn't wait for us to figure it out, but that he actually sent Jesus to show us what it was. And that in our practicing of loving other people, eventually we become love. I can say that within my marriage. There was a time, there was a time when early on in our marriage, uh, there were chores that I would do. And I didn't do them so much, I mean, I guess I did them because I love Christina, but really I did them to try to keep the peace. I, I would do the things around the house and care for different things that I really didn't care about, but I only cared about because I knew that if I did them, then, then she would be happier. She would be less upset or angry or frustrated with me. So by doing those things, I'm keeping a peace. And they were acts of love, but over time I've become love. That it wasn't just about doing the chores, but now it's about living with my wife. It's, it's, it's this incredible feeling. It's this incredible connection of love. And I think that's what it is with Jesus. That, that this word love, it's more than words. It calls us to action. It's, it's not something that we have. It's something that we do. And yet, even as we do it, it's bigger than that. It's someone that we become. That love is just this natural thing that permeates out of us. Here's the reality. As followers of Jesus, we're called to do what he did. We're called to love, like very specifically, he tells us that the rest of the world who doesn't know who he is will know who he is on how we love one another, how his church loves one another. And the reality is, is that the people outside of the church can't see our feelings, but they can see our actions. They can see the way that we care. They can see the way in which we treat one another. They can see the ways in which we argue or disagree or whether we actually pull together for a greater purpose and a greater cause. Love is evident, just as the lack of love is evident. We're called to love. We're called to love as Jesus loved. He laid down his life for us, and so we put others before ourselves because it's who he was and it's what he did, and it's someone that we become. Thank you for listening in on this message from our More Than Words series. We hope that you got something out of it. We hope that you have a deeper understanding of this word love and how it applies to you and how you can live out the action of love in your daily life. I want to let you know that our fall programming is starting to ramp back up. Uh, we're going to be announcing some more information about it soon. So mark your calendars for September 15th is going to be the day that we start our fall programming back up again. Uh, so make sure you put that on your calendars and stay tuned on our Facebook page and our website, northliberty.cc, for more information on how you can get plugged into what we are doing this fall. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to doing it again with you next week.